My chat, my chat, Morning Masters Podcast, your host, main of course. I'm back with a special guest across from me. Real quick, can you please tell people who you are and what you do? I am Janice Allen Jackson. I am the host of the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia and principal of Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. We provide consulting services to local government and nonprofit organizations. Let's clap it up for you real quick. Make sure that's in there real quick. All right, all right. All right, how you doing today? I am doing great. Hope you are too. Um, I, I can't complain. I can't complain. So, uh, real quick, you know, I know we just did a swap cast, which is this is the first time I did a swap cast in the same day. You know, it was different, but I like I like the challenge of it, and I, I thought it was dope. You did an amazing job, first of all. Um, secondly, um, before um, I always get to what the person does and what I know them for, and and, and the good they've done for the community or whatever, I wanted to know a little bit about you. So uh, if you can, tell us a little bit where you're from, when you were raised, um, how the household was for you and things like that. Okay. I was blessed to be born in Augusta, Georgia. Okay. Um, I was born in a building that no longer exists. It was the old university hospital, which was torn down a few years ago. Um, but born there, um, raised in the historic Hornsby subdivision. Mm. Uh, in fact, I can talk a little bit about that later on, but um, one of my pursuits is an LLC that we put together to uh, revitalize the historic Hornsby subdivision. But yeah, I was born at University Hospital three days later, came to uh, Hornsby subdivision and have been connected to it for the rest of my life. So um, wow. attended W.S. Hornsby Elementary School, one through seven. Uh, A.R. Johnson Junior High School, 8th and 9th, and then the Academy of Richmond County for high school. Oh, Richmond in the building, A.R.C., okay. Yes, A.R.C. I am a musketeer and um, left Georgia, you know, right after graduation to go to college at William & Mary in Virginia and um, enjoyed that experience. It was radically different from where I was at Augusta, but enjoyed the experience nonetheless because I felt like that was really where I should have been. You know, that was the type of place God intended for me. Mm. And um, have worked in local government in Maryland, North Carolina, and Georgia uh, since that time. So, so yeah, I've kind of traveled up and down the eastern seaboard and have enjoyed uh, the, the journey. Well, uh, tell me a little bit about you as a, as a child, though. Like, I know you say you're from here. Mm-hmm. Um, what was Augusta like back then, around that, that, around that time? I don't want to ask your age like that, but around that time, <laughs> like that okay. era, maybe we okay. can figure it out. So. Um, I was fortunate enough to be born after uh, segregation and those sorts of things. Okay. So I think the only time I was in a segregated environment was when I was actually born. I was born in the Negro Ward at the old University Hospital. Um, Hold on, real quick. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 80 percent listening, right? Um, Negro Ward. What does that mean? Define that for <laughs> Negro me. Negro Ward means at that time the hospital was segregated. Um, oh wow. Yeah, um, I was born in 1963. So this is my birthday year. <laughs> uh, my big uh, milestone, sort of birthday year. And um, I um, was born up there, but like people talk about having experience riding on the back of the bus and the white and colored mm-hmm. water fountains and all that kind of stuff. Fortunately, I never saw any of that stuff. Wow. Um, but but yeah, I, w- I was born in the Negro Ward. And like I said, I think that was only like formal segregation that I ever experienced. And of course, I don't remember it, fortunately. So. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. Well, so you said I try to, I always feel like people's, um, 
um, story because it can be history. And that's history right there because I never, I've interviewed plenty of people. Nobody has ever said those two words put together. New really? award. It's yeah. the first. Okay. You okay. you have birthed that on more than a master's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, that, that's just dope to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So yeah. And, and, and during that time, though, like, because uh, I know me, you speak about it and, you know, people don't, you know, don't like Augusta, you know, the, the stand third. Um, what was the temperature like around that time? Was was it more pride in Augusta? Was it more, I'm going to Atlanta for a better life? Or like, what was, what was the... I certainly felt there was more pride in Augusta then. Mm. Um, as a woman in particular, um, as I was growing up, and we're talking, you know, like my elementary school, middle school life, uh, my parents were always just very interested in the news. So we were watching the news and we were reading the newspaper on the regular. And I therefore came to learn of black women who were doing really significant things. Mm. Um, like Carrie Mays was on the uh, Augusta City Council. Can't remember the exact years, but I was, you know, probably still in elementary school at that time, but I was aware of it. Um, You had S.A. McIntyre, who was pastor of a Baptist church, which was completely unheard of, Mm. that a black woman would found a Baptist church and be leader of it and have men who were subjected to her authority. Uh, Lucy Laney High School, of course, is named after a woman who was an esteemed educator not just well-known in this area, but throughout the Southeast. And then Jesse Norman was an opera singer, a world-renowned mm. opera singer at that time. And she was born on Forest Street, which was, you know, right behind A.R. Johnson Junior High School, you know, right, right in that area. So there were so many black women in the Augusta area who were doing remarkable things that I just sort of perceived that I had no limits as an African-American female. Wow, you know that's, that's I'm blown away by that response. That's a lot. To, that's that's just great to hear, rather because, mm-hmm. you know, when this is something in real time, you, you these people they were they weren't they weren't gone. They weren't it was alive, right? Well, Lucy Lane had passed. The, no, no, I believe she her. passed. But yeah, Norman, that was she just passed away a little while yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, passed away a few years ago. So yeah, she was on world stages when I was in elementary school, and then later on, I read her book. And uh, she talked about her time at A.R. Johnson Junior High School. And I'm like, well, I've been darn. I was sitting in the same classroom <laughs> she sat in, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and probably had some of the same teachers. So um, that just, all of that just kind of gave me the feeling that, hey, that's education, that is ministry, that is politics, and that is music. Mm. And black women from Augusta were making a remarkable uh, uh uh, legacy in each one of those areas. So this is, you know, I'm in the 1970s, you know, forming my opinions about things. And I was just like, well, she, I ought to be able to do anything because they did it. That's, yo, that is great. That is mm-hmm. great. And, 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 and it's more great to hear mainly because, you know, me, me not being from here, but just being here as long as I've been here, I'm, I'm passing these, 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 these roles. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm passing these uh, rec centers and I'm saying that cause these are just names you make. These are just names you named. Mm-hmm. And to some people, myself could be included. Those are just streets. That's a street. Yeah, right. That's just a gym. I can go play basketball at. That's just a school, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and really it's, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's a lot more than that. And, you're someone who's who's pretty much telling me like that was 
what shaped and molded me to believe I can do anything I wanted to do. Because mm-hmm. these people were in my backyard. They were from where I was from. Yeah. They, they, I felt like we had similar life chances. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Carrie Mays, you mentioned that Jim. Yeah, she was a city councilwoman when I was, I was in elementary school. Um, one of the other things that happened when I was in elementary school was the Augusta riot. Um, I heard about that. Also sort of shaped me to some extent because I was a little, little tyke back then. I mean, I was maybe in the, I don't know, second grade or something like that. Um, But I distinctly remember, in fact, it might have been in the first grade. I distinctly remember the older kids in school talking that day about the plans that their older siblings had talked to them about. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) So... I don't know if the news knew there was going to be a riot, but we knew there was going to be a riot because the younger siblings came to school to talk about what their older siblings were planning mm. to do. You know, and not to compare and like that, but, you know, you think about the riot and, and, and like I said, that's history, mm-hmm. but your story is part of history. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I always, I'm glad you're saying what you're saying, right? But you think about in today's culture, you know, how um, those older, quote unquote, siblings that are, are those are those will be the to me, in my opinion, real activists. Mm-hmm. Plans, mm-hmm. executing, going ahead and doing what they gotta do for a mm-hmm. greater purpose, right? And I know, and I'm not saying you can't be an activist and all that today, but we have a lot of uh, type activists, social media activists, do a mm-hmm. post a status, and that's that's about as far, far, far as we're gonna go, right? Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> or if it go viral, you know, then you might do more, but as far as you're gonna go is, you know, the statuses and stuff like that. Um what 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 are your thoughts on things like that as far as uh people using social media as they kind of only weapon for against activism or for activism versus you kind of coming up in a time where there were riots there were um there were uh chant uh I don't say parades but just there were people formed and marches, and, marches mm-hmm. and, and things like that happening in real time for real really being set up really real commitment versus mm-hmm. I'm going to post this on my phone and turn around and just, you know. Yeah, social it media, it's interesting. And nobody's ever asked me that question before. But social media is really interesting for a couple of reasons. One is you have to look at what's behind it, what's motivating. I mean, some people are posting incendiary things on social media mm-hmm. to get followers. And when they're getting followers, it's a way for them to monetize this in some way or another. Right, right. So is the real motive to speak out about perceived injustices or is the real motive just to, you know, get more followers so you can, you know, get paid more for speaking engagements, write books, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely, so, yeah. So that's the first thing. So to, sort of what's the motive? Um, the second thing is, yeah, it's a whole different thing to get out there because you realize some of those older siblings got arrested that day. Um, some of them got shot that day, mm. you know, so they were really taking their lives in their hands by deciding to participate in the Augusta riot. And I think the third thing that I would say about rioting generally, it tells me an awful lot about the city if you had a race riot, you know, because there's some cities that didn't have any. Mm. And that's one of the things is I traveled around the country and I learned more about the places that I was uh, taking jobs in that would be one of the things I want to find out. And say, you know, what did y'all do in the civil rights movement? Was there any riot here? And why not? <laughs> you yeah. know, and there are a few places I lived that never had one. So that that will tell you about the spirit of activism um, and just the attitudes of the people in the community. Okay. Um, 
So I, I know you went to you said A.R. Johnson mm-hmm. Middle at the time was that still a magnet? Junior high I'm sorry, school. junior high school. I'm sorry. It was right before it became a magnet program. Okay. Um, at that time, A.R. Johnson was declining in enrollment just because there just weren't as many people living in those neighborhoods anymore. And I actually was out of zone because I'm from East Augusta, and I uh, would have been zoned for what was then San Barfera Junior High School, and um, but I just kind of didn't want to go. So my parents didn't make me. So I wound up at A.R. Johnson. And uh, that was also another real positive experience for me because a because of their declining enrollment, they were small. So the faculty really got a chance to know the students and we really got a chance to know them. And uh, there was a pride about being at A.R. Johnson because the principal and the counselors used to say, we are not just the best black school in Augusta. We're the best school in Augusta. Mm. So there was this notion that, you know, just because you were um, non-white, you could still be the best, you know, because the notion yeah. back then, you know, the white man's ice is colder. I don't know if you ever heard that expression. No, I never heard it. Okay, I'm going to give you an We didn't have that in Brooklyn. Day, I don't know. Like, tell me about it. Yeah, um, that is sort of this mentality that if it's white, it's got to be better. Say, 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 so say, say the same over. The white man's ice is colder. And of course, you know, ice is ice. Right, right. So one piece of ice is just cold as the next one. But some people um, would have a negative perception about something that came from African Americans or operated by African Americans. And um, they would then make a choice to do what was done by white folks. And then people who were more aware of what was happening would say, well, you just think the white man's ice is colder. Mm, so that I was like the that. origin of that, that, like that. that, that um, statement. So A.R. Johnson taught me that the white man's ice wasn't colder <laughs> because they took so much pride in what they offered students there. Um, but it closed down because of the lower enrollment in the area. Uh, and became a magnet school maybe like the year or so after I left A.R. Johnson. Mm. Um, I had, as I said, a really good education there. And one of the things that I picked up on when I went to school at Richmond Academy was that because I was in a predominantly black environment at A.R. Johnson and because they were they considered themselves to be the best, they afforded us opportunities that, say, a black kid who went to Langford didn't get. Okay. Um, for instance, um, when you start taking the more advanced courses in mathematics, um, the advanced track would be to have taken Algebra 1 when you were in the ninth grade. So you could do Algebra 1, Algebra 2, or maybe it was eighth grade. I can't remember. Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Trigonometry. Yeah, it was, no, it was eighth grade. The You take Algebra 1 in eighth grade, Geometry, trig, uh, Algebra 2, Trigonometry, Calculus. Well, turns out most of those black students who went to school at Langford that I encountered when I went to Richmond Academy didn't get the chance to start Algebra 1 when they were in the eighth grade. Even mm. though they were perfectly bright, somehow they never got that opportunity. Whereas at A.R. Johnson, we were given more of those opportunities to grow and develop, particularly if they thought that you had potential as a student. You know, you got every opportunity to do that. So I learned that those were the advantages of being at a school that considered themselves to be the best school in right, the, right. in Richmond County school system. All right. Well, you go to uh, ARC. Mm-hmm. What's that like? That, I mean, I'm, and I'm, I don't know. Is that is that a white school, black school? Is it anybody? At that know. time, let's let's give you a, the the quick history lesson on ARC. Of course, it was established in 1783. 
I believe. So I can tell you how it started. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. That's a clue. And it was a military school for mm. white men. Um, then uh, as it evolved somewhere in the 50s, I think, they allowed white girls to go there. So it was all white males into, into the 50s. So the white girls went to high school at Tupman. That's where they graduated. And then the boys were up the street at Richmond. So the girls were allowed to come over sometime in the 50s. Real quick. Uh-huh. Just, a, just, a, just want to do a snapshot. Uh-huh. I want you to continue. So what we know now and what we see it as now, whether you look, think about the schools, think about across the street, what you see from them schools, the activity in the area was not that all oh, the time. completely different. At completely some point, different. it was predominantly white girls and white white young ladies and white young men. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. This and, is news think to me. About it. Not, think not about it. Young. It was all white men until the 50s now. Yeah. So, yes. and then um, the white girls came over. To Tubman. And the, and the, to, from Tubman to, to Richmond wow. in the 50s. And then in the 60s, African-American students started going. In fact, one of my neighbors was among the first group of African-American students to attend Richmond Academy. And he graduated in 1966. Mm. Um, I have uh, another friend and Sarah here in Augusta that graduated in 1968. And she said, you know, at the time she was in the school, it might have been 12 black students at Richmond Academy in 1968 when she graduated. By the time I got there, I graduated in 1981. So by the time I got there, it was roughly 50 50 in terms of African Americans and white students. Of course, we had a mix of just a few others, a few Asian students and things like that. Um, and I considered it to be a really good melting pot at the time. Um, we were so diverse in terms of economic background, um, the educational background of our parents. I mean, I love the fact that at Richmond Academy then, in one class, I might be sitting next to somebody that lived in a public housing complex. And then in the next class, I was sitting next to somebody whose dad was on the faculty at MCG. Mm. So I got a broad range of exposure to people from different backgrounds. And then, you know, in one of those same classes, there would be some kid who was uh, in a military family. His dad had just gotten transferred here and he was from Carbondale, Illinois or something like that. So I could sit there and ask questions of people, you know, we talk about right, always right, interviewing right. people. <laughs> I was interviewing them back then and I asked people, you know, so where are you from? And he said, I'm from Carbondale, Illinois. I was like, what's that? You know, I have a clue. <laughs> and um, the first person I ever met that was from the islands was at Richmond Academy. Wow. He said, I asked, well, where are you from? He said, I'm from VI. I'm like, what the heck is VI? To Virgin <laughs> Islands. I Got it. <laughs> you know, and you would see people who were at these, you know, like a, a black person with like a Hawaiian name. It's like, what's up with that? Oh, my dad was stationed in Hawaii at the time I was born. Yeah, so my parents yeah. just gave me a Hawaiian name. So um, that just, that exposure was wonderful to me. It felt like a, a melting pot um, at the time, and I was grateful for it. Okay. Um, I like, you know, I, I'm from a melting pot, so I can, mm-hmm. I can see how that was like, uh, not only interesting, but just real, uh, mm-hmm. a real good time to remember, you know, coming, coming across all different types of culture and people mm-hmm. from all different types of backgrounds. Um, how do you think that shaped you just in life? Cause, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have, you're not, you, you don't have like, um, just one background, you know, you kind of brushed up against multiple backgrounds, multiple ethnicities. So 
How did that shape you as a person? It was probably the best preparation I could have had for a career in local government mm. um, because I was comfortable around everybody. You know, um, I didn't grow up thinking, oh, well, this person's better than that person and I need to cater to this person more than the other one because right. he or she's more important or what have you. It gave me a sense of respect for everybody and their journeys. Um, and then being uh, in a in the spotlight in a public position um, really gave me good preparation for that because I, I was used to everybody, so it was easy for me to serve everybody. No, nobody's ice was cooler to you. Right. Nobody's <laughs> ice was colder, and I knew that everybody was worthy of dignity and respect. Right. And um, I also, you know, don't tolerate the folks that think they're more important than everybody else because I'm like, well, I know you're not. <laughs> <laughs> tell me tell me a little bit about like so you graduate you graduate from Richmond okay mm -hmm. anyone you go to school you said uh Mary the College it? of William and Mary in Virginia College of William and Mary what made you go there you know the uh, dean of minority affairs at the school just recruited students that she thought would be successful and um you know you from take Virginia? the SAT Oh, yeah, from Virginia. You take the SAT and, you know, all the schools start sending you brochures and stuff if they think you fit their profile. Gotcha. And um, she sent me a handwritten letter that just said, hey, we'd love for you to come visit the campus. If you can get here, we'll pay for everything else. So I was like, okay, this is a good way for me to spend spring break. So <laughs> I went up there and I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I got a chance to meet students obviously i sat in on classes i stayed in a dorm i ate in the cafeteria and i was like yeah this is me this this is this presents an excellent learning environment for me and that was i, I was just in love with it from there and I decided to go um, interestingly at that time the university of georgia was also heavily in pursuit um, because they were trying to diversify their campus and um they offered me a free ride at University of Georgia. And I talked to my parents about it. And my parents had always made me a promise. And that was, you can go to school wherever you want to go. So they were fully cool with me turning down a full ride to the mm. University of Georgia because I wanted to be at William & Mary. Are you a Georgia fan? Not really. Okay, cool. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Number Clap one, and let me put that in perspective now. <laughs> I don't watch, I like sports, but I don't watch much college sports. Okay. You know, my philosophy is, you know, I watch them when they really are the best, you know, when they really are pros. Right, right. At that point, I'm interested. Before that, I really don't care. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Oh, what did you major in college? Uh, major, I started off as a government major, which is equivalent to political science. But uh, somewhere in there, my sophomore year, I believe it was, my advisor came to me. I was sitting in class one day, and he uh, asked me to stay after class. And, of course, I'm wondering, am I in trouble for something? What's going on with this? And uh, he said, we have started this new interdisciplinary major in public policy, and I think you'd be the ideal first person to try it. And he hands me this little fold-over brochure, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll think about it. And I read over the brochure and came back the next day and told him I'd do it. So I was William & Mary's first public policy major. Now, all right. Now you know I, I told you I graduated from Butler High School. Now you mm -hmm. said a big word, so mm -hmm. go back. You said interdisciplinary. Interdisciplinary major. Interdisciplinary. Yeah, interdisciplinary, okay. which is to say that I took classes in multiple departments to make up my major. And in fact, I had to 
design my own curriculum within the parameters that they had set. So some of it was economics, some of it was sociology, some was history, some was uh, government. Okay. Okay, cool, cool. Now, I, I'm just curious, like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> could you say you went to college at first and you you you, you was going in government, which would be mm-hmm. uh, according to political science, mm-hmm. but what was it about your your life? Which you knew? Yeah, like, why? No, yeah. no, not to switch, but, but just in government in general. Why did what, I even start there? Yeah, like, what made you... Okay, yeah, that, that that's a good, that's an easy one. Remember, I told you about how you know in my house we were addicted to the newspaper. Okay, so um, I remember reading an article when I was in high school. I was probably tenth or eleventh grade, and or maybe even before that, it might have been more like ninth or tenth. Um, when Jimmy Carter was president, he appointed Patricia Roberts Harris as a cabinet level secretary. And I think she was in either HUD or health and human services Mm -hmm. somewhere in there. So again, it was this black woman that was in charge of policy for a president related to uh, creating better living conditions for people, you know, focused on housing, human services, you know, just building better people, the federal government's role. She was in charge of the federal government's role in building better people. Well, happy darn, a black woman's doing that. And that was another one of those things that made me say, hey, I want to do something government related. Not quite mm-hmm. sure what at that time was not honed in on that. Um, but I like that idea of providing services, using tax dollars to provide services that improve quality of life for folks. So that okay. resonated with me uh, as a high schooler. Um, the newspaper, uh, uh, what? Was it just, was it a, a mandatory thing in the household to read a newspaper? Did y'all not have TV? I had TV. Oh, yeah. TV was on, too, because we were watching the news as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we just news on. all through the house. We just had news. Yeah, yeah, we had news. Uh, <laughs> and was it forced on me? No. It was just, just, it was just there. Gravitated so towards it. that. Yeah, it was there. I read it. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just, I was just curious because, like, you know, a lot of times, you know, during that, I don't know about that time, but just when you got TV people watching, um, you know, music, Soul Train, all that. Not saying mm-hmm. you didn't watch that. And I watched Soul Train too. Okay, okay. I watched Soul Train too. Just making sure. Just making sure. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just curious how you got to where, where you at because I know like yeah. some people have a story behind like oh, I got this because this happened or this happened. But as you're talking, I'm, I, it's so much history and kind of government related history mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. you. I, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like you was kind of. You kind of mourn to kind of kind of do that, like groomed, yeah, yeah. I, I, to, to a degree, I was groomed, definitely groomed to be aware of what was going on in the community, mm-hmm. which again kind of fits in with everything that I've done since that time. Um, but yeah, it wasn't so much you've got to read this paper. It was like it's there. Let's pick it up and read it and let's see what's going on. Now I want to get into some stuff real quick, but I don't want to skip off of this because you spoke so 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 well about some things that were interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I kind of skipped that part, but like. Just do tell me about your, your household. You live with your, your mom and your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what, what were they like? What were they like? Okay, yeah, that's that's a good question, too. Um, I try to do good questions every now and then. Just yeah. Only every now and then. <laughs> that's know? a great question. Well, <laughs> was asking, what were they like? My mother, and I've given this some thought recently. I mean, I could write a book about both of them. So we'll try I'll to limit it, it to, to, you know, what we can do here. Um, let's start with mom. Mom was... The seventh of 13 kids born in Saluda, South Carolina mm-hmm. and in the 1920s because uh, my parents got married later. I'm a <laughs> child of older parents. So she, before I was born, she had finished high school, finished college, 
taught school for a number of years. She's a, a middle school educator. Had taught every grade at some point or another, but middle school was her focus. And she was sort of the tiger mom. You know, people talk about the Asian tiger mom. Mm-hmm. She was the black tiger mom. <laughs> and sweet person, but but definitely had her expectations. And um, what one of the things that is most remarkable about my mother is that she was the only one of her parents' children to graduate from, from college. Mm. And she can say, she would say that she decided real early on, I mean, like fourth or fifth grade, that she was going to college because she just, you know, didn't see herself ever doing domestic work, didn't see herself ever working in a field. Um, you know, I'm headed to college. Because I like what these teachers are doing. You know, they're clean and dressed up every day. And I'm going to be one of those. So that was her path to becoming an educator with a whole bunch of other things happening in between. Uh, my father worked more jobs slash careers than any human being ever. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, you know, the stereotype about the Jamaicans. And yeah, the hey, mom. Jobs. I almost said it. He's a hey, mom. Yeah, yeah. He's one of those. <laughs> um, he grew up in a farm in Burke County right down the road. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Worked on the farm, obviously worked on a sawmill at one point, was a soldier, you know, obviously went off to World War II, mm. um, uh, worked at, when he got out of war, he worked in New Jersey for a while for DuPont Corporation, which was biggest door opener ever for him, but worked in DuPont as like a machine operator or something, uh, got laid off, moved back to Georgia, started a cab driving business. And, and uh, people laugh when I tell them that. I say, what's a black-owned cab business in Waynesboro, Georgia? I say, it was a thing. Trust me, 1950s. It was a yeah. thing because my father and his brother did it. And uh, he was also like the fifth of 10 kids. And um, he then, when so what is now called Savannah River Site opened in 1953, I believe it was, 52, 53, somewhere in there, uh, they opened and DuPont had a contract with the federal government to operate it. Mm. So he found out DuPont, wait a minute, I got laid off from DuPont. Let me go, you know, years prior uh, when he was in New Jersey, I got laid off from DuPont. So he went out there and they said, oh yeah, you should be the first hire since you were laid off from DuPont previously. So oh, wow. went to work in DuPont and DuPont is a janitor. And he said he would walk in every day and realize he was one of the lowest paid people at the plant. And he would say, I don't like being one of the lowest paid people at the plant. So let me go find something else to do. So, and this is a height of segregation, you know, it's mid fifties. He goes to talk to whoever, whoever, and, you know, higher level, talk to somebody. And he said, Hey, I, I wanted to go do something higher than being a janitor. What can I do? And the person says, well, maybe you can join the paint crew. And he said, Oh, that's cool with me. Cause my uncle is a painter. So I know a little bit about that. So he went to work on the paint crew for a while and then he said, well, I want to do something higher. So <laughs> he, uh, the maintenance mechanic training program became available to African-Americans because first black men couldn't do it. So mm. uh, when they made it available for African-Americans, he's like, yep, volunteer. I want to do that. So he became a maintenance mechanic. And um, that afforded, you know, all of us a much better lifestyle because mm. that paid probably twice as much as being a janitor did. So um, he just kept, he was that type of striving person. Both of my parents were those types of striving people that always looked, you know, what's the next best thing that I can get done? And um, 
we lived through that. He retired from Savannah River Plant in 1986 as a maintenance mechanic. And in the meantime, you know, his spare moments, he started a paint, painting business on the side. So he had his full-time job and pretty much a full-time side gig for most of most of my life. Mm. You know, what I, what, I, what I get from what you said, though, just now was like uh, not only did he want better, but he was willing to do more. Uh, he was willing to do whatever more he had to, he wouldn't to, do, whatever he you had know? to do. And I think uh, and just in today, I always you know, compare. It's like we that want better, want more, but they're not willing to do. Exactly. Oh, yeah, I, ain't, he, I ain't paying. I ain't doing that. Yeah, I, I ain't picking opposite. no trash. I ain't, he was you know. complete opposite. Do whatever I got to do. And I think, but I think it just, and, and, and when you think about times and errors, and obviously there's other factors that contribute to that. I just think that when you want it better, as it was a point in life where, especially for us, if you want it better, you had to be willing to do better, mm-hmm. you know? And it wasn't no, oh, never mind. Because now you look like you don't want to do anything, you know, mm-hmm. and it might might be out of it at that point. But I, even me being in corporate America now, like I have people come to me all the time, yo, I need to make more money. I will do this. Oh, no, I ain't doing that. Yeah, I will. yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> what you, you want me yeah, to do? Right, you know? exactly. And I've seen the same, obviously, supervising people. But no, he was the ultimate hustler, you know, on a scale of one to 10 at hustle, he was 100. Oh, I like that. Because he Shout would do whatever he had to do. And probably he's been deceased now since 2008. But I will say this I think the biggest compliment you could have ever paid my father was, my child has never been hungry. Mm. So, I mean, that was what he lived for. I like that. To be able to say that my kid ain't hungry. I like that. I like that. Clap it up for your pop. I I just, I think too, like, I like the fact that, you know, you say you're an only child, Mm -hmm. right? And you, your parents come from a lot of children, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of children. You You said five of, 10 and my father was five of 10, seven, of was seven of 13. Those are some fractions, you know. This yeah. is those are some fractions, you know. Yeah. This is, yeah, you could, we could, we could, uh, we could break those down a little bit, you know. Yeah. Those, those could be simplified, so that's yeah. a lot. Um, but definitely, um, I know that the, that time arrow, you know, that's that's what people did, you know, had mm-hmm. kids and mm-hmm. go from there. But, um, I want to get into just you know, your life in government. So, um, after college, what do you do? Like, what, what, what's your What's your, what's your, you give me your father's, what's your rundown of things you've done? Yeah, um, I went to, I was tired of school after I graduated from undergrad. When I finished, I was like, eh, I don't want to. I'm done. I know eventually I want to go back and get a master's degree, but I don't want to do it right now. So I um, got a job that I really liked um, in Richmond, Virginia. Got my first little apartment in Richmond, Virginia. Okay, shout out to you. Um I was living in a high-rise apartment called Monroe Park Towers. The building actually is still there uh, now. And um, I was living on the 16th floor. I of heights, but I was living on the 16th floor. <laughs> <laughs> and I got that experience. And Richmond is, you know, it's bigger than Augusta, but it's not like a huge, huge city. Yeah, it's not. Um, which was probably a good transition point for me because it was, you know, big enough that there was something to do and see, but still slow enough for me to, me to navigate at that time. So I, I worked uh, in a downtown. It was a nonprofit organization that worked for down towards downtown improvement in Richmond, Virginia. We did a lot of cool projects and stuff. I got a chance to do my, use my skills um, very well. And during the time I was in Richmond, um, one day I was you know, 23 years old. I was sitting in my one-bedroom apartment, and I was watching the news. Believe it or not, I was watching the news. And I saw that Richmond was going through a search for a city manager. And I was just listening to the 
counsel people talk about what they were looking for in a manager and just describing what the job was. And I said to myself, I could do that. So that was kind of just set my goal that day. I wanted to be a city manager. So I went on back to graduate school at Duke University, finished that program in a couple of years. Hold on. I'm sorry. I had a freaking scratch. <laughs> you went to Duke? Uh-huh. My favorite school. I'm a blue devil. Okay. Hey, I, I, I love the blue devil. Okay. That's what I'm talking about, man. You went to Duke. That's a, uh-huh. that's, that's a big that's a big deal. You know that? uh-huh. that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I've it's... never been inside Cameron Indoor Stadium, but I hey, went to I'm Duke. Hey, you, you went to school. <laughs> and push it. Got good grades. Got good grades. Got right. got on out of there. Um, and I will say it's kind of interesting. I think it just had to do with my stage in life. I mean, I don't feel terribly attached to the school. It was just like I'm in graduate school. I want to get business, in and not, get not out. For school pride. You yeah, yeah. I was there, and, and you know, I tell people like I'm a blue devil, but it's not like I was running around rah rah Duke or anything. And I'm just a blue devil. Sound better. Than I'm a Georgia bulldog. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not, <laughs> not dissing the bulldog. I'm just saying, you know, that sounds so yeah. cool to me. You got five points with me just now. Just oh, from, go go beans. You've been racking them up all day, but yeah, you got five <laughs> points just for being a blue devil. Um, okay, so you said uh, being a city manager, and what happened, what happened with that? Did you ever end up doing that? Or oh, yeah. In yeah, Virginia yeah. or Yeah, yeah. Um, did my first local government job when I came out of Duke in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is right outside of D.C. So you um, had to move, so yeah. you just moved. Yeah, I did a lot of moving. So it, when you speaking went to Duke, of doing what you got to do, you know, I did a lot of moving. That. Uh-huh. So, so, so when you went to Duke, mm-hmm. you, you, you changed, you lived in Virginia still? Uh uh-uh, no 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 I was there because back then there was no such thing as you know uh, online education or anything yes, so yeah I left I lived in Richmond Virginia from eighty five to eighty seven uh, started school at Duke in nineteen eighty seven completed nineteen eighty nine and then in nineteen eighty nine I moved to Prince George's County Maryland okay and then mm-hmm. from when you moved to Maryland you just you moved because of the position? of the job yeah oh, uh-huh. okay. moved there because of the job. Again, doing what you got to do, because one of the things I learned about city manager careers is that you need to be mobile, you know, because gotcha. you never know where the best opportunity is going to be for you. What, what, and, and I don't know if it's a new term for it now, because mm-hmm. I never heard of that. I'm just mm-hmm. going, mm-hmm. city manager, what does that mean? Okay, okay. Let me tell you, let me explain what yeah, that please. is. Um, the city manager is the person that oversees the day-to-day operations of your government. So, which is to say, you may elect a mayor and a council or commission or whatever it's called in that particular city, but typically they hire somebody who oversees the employees and makes sure that services get provided in the way that they're supposed to be provided. Mm-hmm. So, um, the charters of each organization, each organization has what's called a charter. It's a written document that describes the responsibilities and powers of each office. Um, It depends upon the charter. Like in Augusta, there's an administrator, but there's not a city manager. And the powers of an administrator are fewer than the powers of a city manager. You know, preferably you're in an environment where a city manager, you're responsible for hiring and firing of department directors. Um, You're responsible for making sure that they do their jobs. You can Mm. take disciplinary action, et cetera, et cetera. So... um, when I came to, when I came to that realization, you know, it I mean, basically it's like being a CEO. It's yeah, really yeah. like being the CEO of the city. Of, of the city. Um, so, so in the purest form of of government manager council government, the city manager is the CEO and and makes the major decisions. What is that like, though? Like, I mean, 
you got because you got mayors, you got all you these got mayor and council head of head of something, and, but now you're and, and this you. is the distinction. This is the distinction. Mayor and council are there to set policy, which is to say, if they decide that, let's give you one, grass cutting or demolition of structures or um, planning and zoning decisions. They make policy decisions that say, hey, this particular area of the city is going to be zone residential. Over there, it's going to be zone commercial. You know, so mm-hmm. businesses can go over there and houses need to go here. Or this property is zoned R3 or whatever the classification is in your system. So apartments can go here. So they, the, the mayor and council are elected to make major decisions like that. You know, land use decisions for your area. They're elected to um, decide that, hey, uh, it's against the law for you to let your grass go three feet, grow three feet high, gotcha. you know, and they set what the penalty, you know, can set what the penalties may be for that through a code of ordinances. Um, so <laughs> you got a city uh, attorney that's going to write up the ordinance and the mayor and council are going to pass that ordinance. Uh, and then the city manager is going to enforce it, uh, which is uh, to say okay. that it, you got a code enforcement department or a planning department or, you know, whatever you were talking about at that particular time. Um, the city manager is going to work through those departments reporting to him or her to make sure that it's carried out the way that the mayor and commission have, have laid it out. Just an example. So let's say it just the grass got to be three or mm-hmm. four. Mm-hmm. So do they drive around just trying to check people's code, grass? Code enforcement is driving around to check people's grass. Oh, wow. That's, that's still a job? That's still a thing? Oh, yeah. It's a real thing. Even here? Oh yeah, it's a real thing here. Well, how much they get paid? You could so you just drive and you could. <laughs> yeah, like, do, do. it's a little bit more complicated oh, okay, than okay, that, okay. but yeah, it's a little bit. But that's part of the job, but literally. You don't, you don't have to, you get they're the driving car? around. They got a little tablet or a laptop or whatever in the vehicle, and they're saying, "Oh, this particular address, grass is too high. Let's write up a citation and leave it at their door." What? Yeah. Wow, this is news to me. This is crazy. Yeah, I'm not a grass cutter at all. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I get it cut, you know, because yeah. I feel my, my uh-huh. politics connection. But yeah, you know, if it's, but yeah, your grass is too high, yeah, you can get a citation. Oh, wow. Okay. Get a citation. For I got to look into that. I like or, that or if you have a junk vehicle, you know, you get a citation. Why is that vehicle there and it doesn't have current registration or insurance? Mm, it's I considered junk if there's no current registration or insurance. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are folks in this here in Augusta, the marshal's office does some of that too, like junk vehicles the marshal's yeah, office yeah. handles. Um, but yeah, if you're annoyed because your neighbor's got, you know, three junk vehicles in the yard, they haven't moved in a year, uh, the marshal's office can come and write them a ticket. Just a curiosity, what mm-hmm. would make somebody be annoyed with that? Like, would it, is it, would it bother them or just because you're it's next just to your house? Look very junk, good. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. just, it's just gotcha. junky. It doesn't look very good. Oh. So it takes away from the attractiveness of your neighborhood. Gotcha, gotcha. It makes sense. Property value and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long you did this? How long? You did this? Um, really, most of my life in local government. Um, so city manager. City manager um, I, w- I didn't start as a city manager because this one of those things where you got to work your way up. Um, but when I went to Prince George's County, I was, you know, I, I called myself. I was a small fish in a big pond, mm. and then I became assistant city manager in Albany, Georgia. Just out of nowhere, just applied for the job, and they called me, and I got it. So I became the city assistant city manager in Albany. So then I became a big fish in a small pond. Is the way I like to look at that. Um, but that was a, one of the best experiences for me ever because 
it, the organization was big enough that I could get exposed to various aspects of running an organization. And I, I learned just so much. It was such a learning, learning laboratory for me, as well as, you know, getting some experience that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, and I love working with the people. You know, the thing I right. said earlier about working with a diverse array of people. Uh, that's oh, what working at Albany gave me a chance to do. And folks were very supportive because they just really appreciated someone who was, you know, a big fish treating them with that type of respect and dignity and taking their phone calls and talking to them in a restaurant. Yeah. And stuff. We had a little restaurant. So it just closed down recently, but it was one of the best soul food restaurants ever in Albany, Georgia called Carter's Grill. And um, I would come through there about once a week for lunch. And the it was like, you know, cafeteria style or whatever. So they would fix your tray. You tell them, hey, I want rutabagas and black eyed peas and collard greens today or whatever. And the ladies that were handing me the stuff, you know, they would say, hey, uh, Miss Allen, I got a problem with X. And I would talk to them while I'm in the lunch line right, about right, their right. problem with X. And I loved it and they loved it. That's dope. That's dope. Yeah, it really was dope. I, I, so, Aaron, how, and what, what year did you move? Did you go? To I moved Albany? to Albany in. 1993. Okay, so you are. Oh, so that wasn't too, too, too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1993. At, what, at any point, do you ever come to back to Augusta, or you just always stay away? Yeah, I um, went from Albany to Charlotte. I was an assistant county manager in Charlotte, North Carolina, for Mecklenburg County government, and um, and then I moved from Charlotte to Augusta in 2014, okay. and came in as their administrator. Um. Did you like Charlotte? Was it was it cool? I like Charlotte and I don't like Charlotte. And let me explain what that means. Quality of life in Charlotte is outstanding. Mm. Um, it has grown a lot uh, since that time. So it's a little bit more difficult to navigate than it was, you know, a few years ago. Um, but the growth of the community and what they have to offer uh, they obviously they have traffic and crime, but it's nowhere near what you would find in the Washington D.C. area or in Metro Atlanta. Um, but you still got stuff. I mean, like we still go up there now. You want to see a play or whatever? You know, you go to I, we go to Charlotte to do that. You know, you want to go see the Panthers or go see the Hornets or whatever. We go up to Charlotte to do that. Like a lot of people's default is you know they go to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Well, I go to Charlotte. And um, yeah, same distance Mm -hmm. and less traffic and you still see an NBA game or an NFL game or, you know, touring Broadway play or whatever, whatever. So um, that's the upside to Charlotte. The downside is, you know, I made that comment earlier about you can learn a lot about a city, about whether they had a riot in the 60s or 70s. Charlotte didn't have a riot. Hmm. Um, Charlotte is one of the cities where... The African-American community is relatively silent. Silent. Yeah. Got you. Um, that makes that that makes that makes statement different than what I thought. Okay. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now it's what yeah. you're saying when you say mm-hmm. that. Got you. Okay. Make more sense now when you say it that way. But the quality of life is excellent. Um, uh, but I just, it, it's just uh, some people and not just black people. I heard a, a white person, she called it, Charlotte is the city without a soul. And I said, I'd be darned. That's absolutely correct. Mm, a city without a soul. Uh-huh. Okay. And they silent. They just yeah. don't, they ain't yeah. just speaking yeah. about it. It's whatever. And, and give you a couple examples. Um, 
when I first, my kids, when we moved to Charlotte, my kids were very young. Like my daughter was in daycare. My son was a first grader. And the superintendent who was in place at that time was an African-American man. And then he retired and the school board searched, you know, for a new superintendent. Didn't even have a black finalist in the group. Mm. And nobody said boo. <laughs> and then it was the next superintendent and next superintendent. And they never had a black one again until, you know, my son was in college. The next time they hired a black superintendent wow. in Charlotte. Nobody better than I. Nobody fought for nothing. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Right. No kind of. Right. Nothing. And this is a school system that has become increasing, increasingly a school system of color. Mm. Makes sense now. Now, now, yeah. you, now, now I get it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I'm pretty sure you come back home. You was happy. You yeah. Happy, happy to come back to Augusta. Happy to be back in Augusta because I wasn't one of these people that swore Augusta off. You know, some people will say I'm never moving back to Augusta again. There's nothing for me there. And I'm just like. But did you ever visit? Do like, you know that there are much worse worse places you could be than Augusta, definitely. GA? Did you ever visit, like, come back and forth? To, during, during to Augusta? Your, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. My um, it's like my father now been deceased 15 years. My mother uh, has been, well, maybe maybe a little longer. Let me think about that. He died in 2008. So, yeah, so, uh, whatever that is. I can't do math right now. That's 15. Yeah, it's 15. And my mother's been deceased for 10. Um, so while they were still living, yeah, I was coming back okay. on a regular basis. gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I want to talk about Augusta and, and, and Augusta and, and, and politics. So um, I guess it's a good time to, to bring, you came back 2014, mm-hmm. right? Um, before you started, you know, your podcast and mm-hmm. what you do, um, what, what was your thoughts on just Augusta politics um, in general, like in the city? <sighs> Pros, cons, good, being, bad? Being completely honest, uh, there are people... Who's who? I'll try to remain nameless and anonymous, <laughs> but but there are people who would who would always say the craziest politics ever in Augusta, Georgia. Um, some of it is structural in terms of the way the local government is set up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set up to be dysfunctional um, because it's like a three-headed monster. And I could get, if you want me to, I can get into some real detail about that. But it, it's set up to be dysfunctional in many ways. It's not set up to work. Well, describe that three-headed monster you um, You've got an administrator, which is the role I had. You've got a commission and you've got a mayor. And the charter kind of leaves all three of them in charge in one way or another. And that's why I call it the three-headed monster. So is it, not, is it, is it no checks and balances of, like with that? Or? It's... Either no, it's either no checks and balances or it's too many. And one of the reasons that I say that is because of how we got here with the consolidated government. You know, there was the old city of Augusta and there was Richmond County up until 1996. So the old city of Augusta had basically gone financially bankrupt uh, because of a mayor that didn't have enough checks and balances. Mm -hmm. I mean, it went bankrupt and nobody knew it because they didn't have enough checks and balances on the mayor. So when they created this new government, they had to put more checks and balances on the mayor. So they named a role of mayor, but he really they didn't really give it any responsibilities. 
And this is what, what, what time frame are we talking about? This is saying? in the mid 90s. Okay. okay 1996, okay. when the consolidated government went gotcha. into effect. So the mayor is sort of kind of a full time job. Um, and the code says that the mayor has responsibility for enforcing some ordinances and things like that. It does say that, but he doesn't have any supervisory responsibility over staff. Mm. So it's like, Okay, well, what's that supposed to mean yeah, in practice? Really making sense to me. Yeah, and then I understand that they didn't even cre- create an administrative role when they first consolidated the government, but then the elected officials showed up and they looked around and go, well, who's going to run the place? Somebody's got to be in charge of the right. day-to-day operations, and that's when they created an administrative position, but they didn't give it all the responsibilities of a traditional city manager form of government. Okay. And then you got a commission that, uh, passes all the ordinances and is supposed to be setting policy for the organization. Um, but, and you also put them, you set it up so that the department directors, while on a day-to-day basis, are supposed to be reporting to the administrator. The administrator can't fire them. Only the commission can fire them. So it's just all kind of jumbled up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that has contributed to the difficulty of the politics. Um, I had... Some people, again, get to those folks who shall remain neighbors. Like a couple of people say, you survived five years with the Augusta Commission? You know those people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. You know, I, I've spoke to some people um, in, in, in government um, that's currently there. I think I spoke with Jordan Johnson mm-hmm. one time. I, I told you Ben Hassan spoke to him. Mm-hmm. I did find that it's, it's always better, in my opinion, you get more, you get more real, raw, uncut answers for someone who's um out of office than somebody who's oh, yeah, currently still in. For sure. <laughs> I mean, and I like Jordan Johnson as the person, you know, he's a cool guy. But I mean, sometimes you they, you, they, you ask a question, you're like, all right, so you don't give me an answer or not, because I don't know what the hell you just said, but you spoke for three minutes. You know, <laughs> and then you said some good words, you know what I'm saying? But what, what, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And but you don't want to, you know, push. Mm-hmm. So I, I learned my and I don't, and you you podcast, I'm gonna get in a segment, you podcast and mm-hmm. you talk with those people a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't I Five years of doing that, I don't know how you do podcasts with them because I can't do it. I I be want to throw the, the 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 computer away sometimes. Like what what did he? Why didn't he answer this question? Why didn't she answer this question? They asked to come on here and they they chose not to. But um, I want to ask a, a a political question real quick. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into the, the podcast. Um, I have to notice, and I know it's not. It can't be the truth. So I I spoke to multiple commissioners. They say they don't make no money. Now I'm, I mean I mean that they're saying like I guess there's no money involved in it. I don't know. I just don't feel like that's that can't is that really true for real? Like, is it no money in in that? When you say it is a lower salary, it is okay. less than twenty five thousand dollars a year. But that's what that means. So if you do that job, you need to have another job. Oh yeah, yeah, and that how's that possible? Like, that is problematic. This this is what it's about. I'm going to tell you what it's designed to be, and then I'll tell you kind of what happens in okay. reality. What it's designed to be is that being a commissioner is a part-time public service opportunity. You're like basically a paid volunteer. Um, The goal is because, what's supposed to be, is because you're only in a policymaking role, Mm -hmm. it's not intended to be a full-time job. Gotcha. It it is intended that, you know, you come to the meetings, obviously, you know, every Tuesday, and plus the special call meetings whenever those take place. And... You've given given voluminous information, I'm telling you. And I'll say, you know, I know because we were responsible for putting it together. All those decisions that they have to What's make. What's that word you said? A what? All those decisions no, they have to make. All that. 
the, a, a voluminous what voluminous it? document. What I'm getting mean? to a, what happens when you. Yeah, it's okay. like it might be 600 pages per meeting of materials to get you prepared for that meeting. Gotcha. Okay. So the staff has prepared all this information because obviously if the commission has got to make decisions, we as staff, we are responsible for making sure that they have the information they need to make sound decisions. So by the time you go through 30 or 35 agenda items, it might be, you know, 30 pages of information per item. Mm -hmm. So you wind up with this huge document. And if they really want to get prepared to vote on those issues, they need to have become familiar with them. So, yeah, they might sit there. The time-consuming piece is sitting there having to read a 300 or 400 or 500 or 600-page uh, meeting agenda packet. Mm. So that's time-consuming. Being in the meetings themselves can be time-consuming because, you know, folks don't stop talking, and you could be there for five or six hours. Um, and then there's all the public events and things that they go to. Oh, we want them to come to this ribbon-cutting and that grand opening and – Da, 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 da. So, yeah, the, the opportunities to, to shake hands and kiss babies. So it gets to be time consuming for that reason. But just the policy making aspect of it really is supposed to be just a, it's a part time thing. Is that why so, a lot of commissioners be like old? That they, is exactly why, which is exactly what I was going to get into. When I came in as administrator, I think. um. Everybody, maybe with the exception of one or two of them, all of them were over 60. They were retirees. Yeah, and you crazy. set yourself up, and it's not just Augusta. It, it is every other local government pretty much in the United States of America where you have this structure where they're supposed to be part-time is, this is the way I put it, it's real direct. Um, in order to serve in public office mm -hmm. like that, you either have to be independently wealthy retired or poor and don't care. Mm. It's really not for somebody who's working a full-time job. Gotcha. Because let's say, you know, your job, you know, working in retail. I mean, you couldn't just leave your job every, you know, every Tuesday for five or six hours. Your bosses might have a problem with that. Yeah, definitely. You know, or you taking off to go, oh yeah, we got this, you know, grand opening it's a cookout down the street. It's it such and such and such and such. And, you know, you need to go. It's like my neighborhood had something, and we can get into that too, hopefully later on. Um, I had a big e event. I hosted a big event in my neighborhood Thursday morning. Well, two of our commissioners and the mayor were, were there because we wanted them on the program to make remarks. Right. But, you know, how many people have jobs that would allow them to do that? So that's why a lot of them wind up being self-employed mm. um, because then they are in more have more control over their own time or they're retired where they don't have to clock in anywhere or they're independently wealthy where they ain't got to work no job. Right, right. You know, I've okay. had a few of those, you know, types of elected officials in the, in the past. Uh, or when I say poor and don't care, it's like, no, I don't really have a regular job and I don't care if I don't have a regular job so I can show up at stuff. Got you. Okay. And I asked that question. I just, I was mm -hmm. thinking maybe I, it was some kind of money they were receiving somehow. Somewhere. I'm not saying they're doing something corrupt. I don't know. I'm not, mm -hmm. Going to that, going that route, but you know, maybe you you get paid XYZ to pop up here, or that picture, or that arm around somebody. Like you got likeness at that point, you know. You got mm -hmm. you can use that. So I thought maybe it was something more to it, but I talked to multiple commissioners and they all said the same thing. So I'm a yeah. I'm a I'm a yeah. 
The paycheck is small. Okay. Well, now that you uh, say it, uh-huh. I'm going to believe it. Yeah. Don't offend Ben Hassan because but he, you know, that's my guy. But you know, when you you being someone who was uh, in charge of checks and balances, you know mm-hmm. the real. So mm-hmm. yeah. You know. Okay. Cool. Paycheck cool. is small, and the um, the demands can be pretty significant. And in addition to what I just said about how that skews who's there, because you know, poor and don't care, retired, independently wealthy and self-employed, that doesn't, mm-hmm. that's not a broad representation at all of any community, yeah. but it's, that's it's what very, you wind it's up It's very with. hit or miss, honestly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, very hit or miss. So your, your, your body of elected officials is not going to be representative of the population in any city or town or county in the United States. Okay. So- I want to get into you. I want to get into you as a podcaster. You, you podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, first, what what went into that that thought process of you know what? I want to speak on these things, even though I was in government for a long time. I want to continue to speak on it, especially on a local level. Uh, what went into that and building that podcast? You know, like a lot of other good things that happen to you, happen almost by accident. Right. <laughs> I was talking to somebody one day, and she said, you know. You should build your brand. It would build your brand to have your own radio show. And I start thinking about radio. I am on the radio. I'm on WKZK on Wednesday afternoons and Thursday evenings. Um, I thought about it, and I was just sort of like, okay, building brand sounds pretty good, but what in the heck would I talk about? (laughs) Because I'm not that much of a talker. I tell everybody I'm the person who will – I like to cook – I'm the person who will make some waffles and frittatas and tell people to come over <laughs> for brunch. And they do all the talking. I never get a word in edgewise. Mm. So I had to start my own show so I could talk. So I could talk. So because I don't I don't talk like that. And um I um but I thought about it for a few months and it, cause it took a while for me to get my ideas together. I have to kind of know where I want to go. I don't just start something that knowing where sense. I want to go. Big and, and one day I was talking to Reverend KB Martin, uh, just retired from Antioch Baptist church. And he was just talking about how, you know, folks don't go to the polls and if they go, they don't know what they're doing when they get there. And it was like, that's when the light went off. That's a, there's a need in terms of getting information out there. And I have the expertise to, to get mm-hmm. it. To give it. So that was how it came about. What went into the title? You told my title, but I like your title. Yeah, Local Matters. It is because you will hear people say in a presidential election year, they will be saying, I've got to go to polls because i got to vote this joker out. Mm-hmm. You don't hear the same enthusiasm at the local level most yeah. of the time. Yep. And people fail to realize how much people at the local level, elected officials at the local level control your quality of life. Mm -hmm. Um, You think about basic stuff like your potholes, your storm drainage, your recreation services, and most importantly, your public safety services and your utilities, your your clean water supply, which you need to live, your garbage pickup, all that's decided by people at the local level. So that's why I said local matters. See, that thing could I I always I thought the double entendre because yes local matters but then I'm pretty sure you talk about local matters like local issues or whatever mm-hmm. case may be so it's like mm-hmm. and it is it a double two, you know yeah and yeah. it is it does have I a said, double I like meaning that. I like that yeah you know, I uh-huh. like that a lot and then I went do my research and, and 
even a guess you had on it is all uh, cognizant to what the the the, the title is and what mm-hmm. you what your what your mission statement quote unquote mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is for the podcast. So I like that. Anytime mm-hmm. somebody can do that, because people don't realize how hard that is. Because people think because you got a podcast, you got you got your microphone, you got this. Hey, you should talk about such and such. Yeah, but that don't fit what I'm gonna do. That's a good, that's a good conversation, mm-hmm. but that don't fit what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, right. like, you should have such and such on. Good person, speaks well, but I don't know how that's going to mesh with what, right. I'm, what I'm doing. Right. Maybe I could, you know, get that person with such and such, because that podcast might work for that. So it's a lot going into that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and you manage, though, so you, mm-hmm. you've been doing it for a while. Mm-hmm. Was that is that something that's uh, difficult or challenging for you to do? Like, guest-wise, picking guests, maybe not picking a guest, maybe overlooking a guest or turning down a guest or, you know. Yeah, I have to think about it because I have people giving me suggestions. Just like you said, why don't you have so-and-so and so? I'm like, well, what's he going to talk about? How is this connected <laughs> to state and local government? Because I cover state issues too. How's this going to connect to state and local government? I mean, what does this have to do with anything? And um, um, I, so I make sure that even if people don't first see the connection, but by the time the program's over, by the time the episode's done, they'll see what the connection was. That's beautifully said. And, and I feel like uh, when you when you talk about the title Local Matters, um, I think local can be pr- perspective as well. Because local, mm-hmm. we can say Augusta, but maybe somebody from Georgia is just watching, right? And yeah. local will be all of Georgia at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking about United States, it's local because it's, it's domestic. Yeah, you know? you're, it's right, right. If you're talking public safety, that's a local government service right. anywhere in the United States. Exactly. exactly. Um, education, same thing. I've done a few um, episodes on education because everybody's got a thought about mm-hmm. education. And we're paying a lot of money for those education services through our tax dollars. So, uh, and it's such a need, you know. Yeah. So I focused on that. But, yeah, somebody in California might find that just as interesting as somebody in Augusta, Georgia did. Well, I'm curious on, I know you spoke about the polls and things of that nature. Um, I was going to, after you said, I had, had a talking point, whereas, you know, people when it's presidential election time, they want to vote somebody out or vote somebody in or say, you know, I'm tired of this happening. But, you know, on that level of voting, you're still you still aren't fixing the issue that's directly affecting you. Right. So that local um government, the local elections, um, uh they they uh it's, it's a word I'm looking for. I can't I just can't think right now. But yeah, okay, those those directly affect you way, way more than um Trump or Obama or, you know, uh, uh, president we got now. I don't, I don't know. I don't, what's his name? Joe. Joe Biden. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not not crazy. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I, I'm not crazy. But, yeah, in them now, um, they, they don't see. And I, I, I'm, real, I'm real big on local. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, once I, I got to know talking to Ken Macon and I started to do my research and on his podcast, um, listening to even you and certain mm-hmm. people that was on there and, Y'all pushed a lot of the local, local, mm-hmm. local. He pushed a lot of local, local. I always kind of step back from that, you know, and then I go into more of the commissioners, go into more of what, what this job mean, or uh, who would call when that's why when you said the AED earlier in, in our mm-hmm. in the SWAT one, I was so interested because I'm so interested in the local thing because I feel like it's so much local information, local quote unquote matters, mm-hmm. um, and local people that we that are in charge of these local matters that we don't know about. Right. And I think any platform, but definitely your platform is, is a great platform to learn those things. So um, would you, what would you consider your, your platform to be? Is it entertainment? Is it educational? Is it just conversation based? Is it? It's education. education. It really is education. Um, I am hoping to help you 
learn more so that you feel like you have more control over your quality of life. When you um and, and when you when you say quality of life, what does that what does that mean to you when you say quality of life? You you let let's talk about something that we talked about during our swap cast, and you talked about traffic safety, mm-hmm. for instance. That is a quality of life issue. If mm-hmm. you're driving down the road and you don't think you're safe, your quality of life's not very good. Um, if it floods in your yard. Every time there's a heavy rain, your quality of life's gonna be bad. Mm. You know, so that that's what I mean by that. Okay. If you you feel like you've got kids, there's no place for the kids to to play safely, that that affects your quality of life. So those are the type of things that I would use as examples. So far on a success level, like have have you found that um you've had uh are you more likable? Let me say that. Have you are you more likable um podcast wise or are you more likable? Uh, managing wise city management nobody's ever asked me that question in life but let me say I think I'm the same in either environment Uh, I think what I offer in either environment is one credibility Mm. you know I'm not experimenting with you I have done all this before you know you know so the the level of experience and uh, sincerity with which I approach both Gotcha. Um, I think makes me sort of either, either, you know, equally likable in either one of those environments. You know, I, 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 I like I said, we, we've had we've had conversations, not real conversations, because mm-hmm. I remember uh, I, I've seen Ken on yours, I've seen you on Ken Makins, and you know, you don't know, but you watching, you know, you mm-hmm. you looking, you you listening. Then I seen Karen last year; she posted this big post, and it was yours. And I'm not gonna lie, the podcast. I was like, hold up, who's the other person Karen's posting the podcast? Who is this? And I liked that. I was like, okay, well, let me see what she did. And then she actually reached out around that same time, matter of fact. She texted us and she said, like, Hey, uh, you know, this is Jermaine, James is Jermaine. Um, y'all should link up, da da da. And it's just it's it's beautiful to see how things work when you talk about just on the politics side and not just uh judicially and, and all that and lawmaking, but just relationships. You mm-hmm. think about politics and like uh, what Karen means to the city, what you mean to the city. Y'all two know each other, me knowing Karen, now me knowing you, mm-hmm. and what that could mean for our connections and, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. And um, to me, that's, 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 that's the best thing about what I do in media. Um, for you, what is the best thing about um, what you're doing um, podcast-wise, podcast-driven um, with local matters? That is a good one, That the idea of connections. Um, because I thought I knew a lot of people when I was administrator, um, and now I'm learning there were a whole bunch of people right, that I didn't right, know. Right. So so broadening that uh, circle is is really good. Uh, one of the other things for me personally that's been very rewarding, I, I can get really, really excited when I get a call from somebody that's out of town to tell me either they want to be on the show or uh, that they heard something on the show that is impacting policy somewhere. Mm. I don't know if you know Donna Moraine. She is with the Augusta Justice Cooperative, I think is the name of the the uh, organization that she set up. And uh, she is a court watcher, basically. I mean, she sits in state court and observes some of the awful things that happen to people in the courts. Mm and things that she perceives to be really unfair, and she tracks legislation in regard to that. And Donna keeps a really low profile, but um, she wanted to be on the show, and I actually did two episodes with her, and I called it When Poverty Sends You to Jail, Parts 1 and 2. 
because some of these people are in jail just because they can't bail them. Nobody can bail them out. Mm. They can't bail themselves out. I saw Donna a month or two ago, and she said that she got a call from somebody um, on the Senate, some Senate, U.S. Senate committee in Washington that had heard her conversation on my podcast, and they were using that to help shape legislation. Oh, that's dope. I clap it up. That yeah. So that's, that's like amazing. the greatest thing ever. That's an amazing film. All snippets to use of all podcasts, like they they chose yours, mm-hmm. which means that you one you're doing some you're doing you're credible, like you said, mm-hmm. and then two, um, people are watching, people yep. are watching. I think yep. that's we don't talk about that a lot as podcasts a lot, but because you no, know, of course the cool thing to do is say I don't care about the views, you know. Of course everybody say that because yeah, naturally there's those hard to come by. We gotta we gotta fight for all all of them, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm the person that I really don't, and I'm pretty I, I just from talking to you i'm pretty sure you don't either i care about impact yeah and that's right impact. exactly that's like exactly a, a that's impact. Example. you can't really measure that until you start saying well this happened and they use my podcast mm-hmm. on this yes that's impact somebody calling you and saying yo i listened to this and i did this and this happened that's impact right. of you ain't gonna show you that i can have two hundred thousand and not have an impact at all right but i can have 46 and be impacting four or five people lives, and i'm gonna take that any day right exactly um so what what and you asked me this? I want to ask you this. I always ask this question, and you put me on spot. I wasn't expecting it to be asked, but <laughs> what what would be your favorite uh, podcast that you have done? Your favorite guest you had on so far? Okay, uh, well, I'm going to actually reference something where I didn't have a guest. One of the things I always do after big elections is I have an analysis episode where okay. I talk about why folks won and lost. So. Those are the ones that sort of like a rapid fire. It's like, oh, yeah, he won because he better connected with his voters. He lost because there was some rumor of a scandal that really brought him down. Mm. The other person won because they were just really, really well organized and had a well funded campaign, those sort of stuff. So I like those election analysis episodes um, just generally. And I've had, you know, several of them, uh, obviously. So those are the ones I like. Another one I like, it's like former mayor Bob Young. Uh, Bob, Bob is a staunch Republican, and uh, we sat there one year after Kemp beat Stacey Abrams the first time. Uh, I had him on the show. We talked about what was going on, and he said, Stacey lost this time, but I think she's going to be the next governor of Georgia. And I said, I don't even think she's going to run because she's enjoying more clout not being mm-hmm. in office yeah. than she would if she were in office. When you're in office, people are holding you responsible for stuff, yeah. you know? I don't think she's going to get out there. Well, both of us turned out to be dead wrong. <laughs> <laughs> she got back out there and she didn't win. So, but I, I, I like Bob as a guest. He's really humorous and um, he offers a totally different perspective from his staunch Republican sort of background. Um, so the election episodes that, and uh, let's see, one more recently, I had um, a woman who is uh, the executive director of Heritage Academy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Heritage Academy, you know, private school mm-hmm. in the area. And uh, she just so believes in the work that they did. And she are still doing, she's kind of retired now, but the work that they're doing, she really believes in it because it's an intersection between the need to educate children, 
working with families and using her faith. And that really came through for me because I have a friend who teaches there. And she said, this is the first time in all these years that I've been able to talk about Jesus in my classroom Mm. with the students. And it's so refreshing for me. So just to expose their good work. And she really talked about, you know, what is the difference about how they educate not just the child, they educate the whole child and the family. Yeah. You know, at Heritage Academy, it's small enough so that if grandma walks through the front door, hello, Miss Smith, how you doing today? Yeah. And I'm like, grandma got to feel real good about that. <laughs> yeah. So those are the type of episodes that I really, really like. Um, another one I did, and this was one that was kind of off topic, but it's a friend of mine. She written a book about her experiences in, in church. And it was called When the Church Praise, P-R-E-Y-S. And she described this horrible experience that she endured in a church that her family was a member of for years. Mm -hmm. And in the book, it's it's almost funny, but it's not funny. Uh, She says, yeah, I should have known something was wrong because when we had our oldest child, anytime he would see the bishop, he would just scream. He would act like he had seen the devil, and that was because he had, (laughs) you know? So, so yeah, we we have a lot of fun with our conversations, um, and I I enjoy most of my episodes because of that. What about your, I'm not going to say worse, Mm -hmm. but what is one you was like, ah. Yeah, I had some folks, let me try not to shame anybody. Um, I had some folks that should have been experts on the topic. If you look at their resume, you say they're experts (laughs) on this topic. And then when they get in, their conversation was so boring. I was like, oh, God, this episode is a complete dud. And then you try to drag stuff out of them. You feel yourself (laughs) trying to drag it out. It's just not working. And and a couple uh, last week, two weeks ago, I interviewed somebody that I knew was going to be a a great, great guest. And um, I said, I don't have to worry about you because I know you'll keep talking you know and, he, and he's a regular listener he said yeah i've heard those interviews where you were trying to drag stuff out of people let me ask you as a, <laughs> as a, as a fellow podcaster like like when when, <laughs> when when that's the when that's the vibe and that's the mold right what was going through your mind like are you are you just ready for it to be over it yeah when can, you, it, when can this 25 minutes get over with because <laughs> and I, I we spoke on on, on, on the swap cast when, mm-hmm. when we did it and I just hate having to ask a question, but also answer it, answer it for you. Right. To get dialogue. And then even then it's still not, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just uh. bad. And and I asked a question that I'm asking, thinking that it's such a rich topic and there was just so much they could say. And they don't say anything. They give me three words. Gosh. And then the other ones, I'm sorry, there's one other type that is problematic. It's those that come in thinking they're giving a speech instead of having a conversation. Oh, man. So they've prepared notes, and they just want to read it all to you. I'm not going to lie. That is a new one. And I, and just for anybody watching, because I know y'all watching this, got, you know, a, a, a legend up here. Um, please don't come up here with that. Just, just, just stay home. You can, you can talk on the phone for all like, I don't want, I, I don't want that. I'm, if it's not organic... I, Organic, I like it. See, right now we speaking. I don't have no questions written down. I just know I want to talk to you and mm-hmm. and kind of see where the conversation go. That's all I ever want. I don't want anything more. Or like, you don't have to come give me the best answer. Like I'm pretty. You didn't write this stuff down like that, but the answer you gave, I, I could think of 
questions you probably didn't think I was going to ask you, and those are great mm-hmm. answers. Mm-hmm. So organic. If you gotta have a, this ain't this ain't for you, man. Yeah. I, I don't know. And I can see them having a couple bullet points or something. Statistics but and stuff some is of, fine. But some of them have like literally written a script. <laughs> And you're like, no, this is not how this works. <laughs> That's just funny because, I mean, I, I, I have it have, happen, thank God, but I can imagine, I know, people come in there and they feel they're ready too. Like, yeah, I'm ready for you today. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever feel like in your show, uh, your podcast, that people feel like maybe um, when they come on, you're going to be out to get them? I don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't um, heard a vibe from your podcast on that yet, but I'm just Yeah, I, I try to set the tone for that. There's sometimes I invite people in where I have to let them know up front, hey, this is not a gotcha sort of situation. We exist to provide information. Gotcha. Um, I've, and I've had, there's one elected official again. I'm trying not to uh, bash anybody because that's not my goal. That's one of the things I learned from my mother. Her goal was never to embarrass anybody. So I'm not trying to embarrass this individual, but. It bothers me when you have someone who is elected by the people and you invite them to do something that is a perfectly non-threatening interview and they refuse to do it. Mm. And I'm just like, come on, dude, you you expecting people to vote for you, but you won't go out and talk to them? That's crazy. I got now. It's not pushback at all, but I'm, I'm thinking, me now, listen, like... I don't think that they won't do one. I'm, I'm thinking about the person, right? So you think about you and your expertise. Mm-hmm. I'm not, and not to say anything bad about me or anybody, but let's say I did ask them and they wanted to come on, right? They probably look at me like, oh, you don't know nothing about no politics. Anybody. You know, I'm going to walk all over you and uh, mm-hmm. ain't cool. But then someone like you, you know, a uh, strong black woman, and that they, they know this. Not, it's not like they're just guessing. Like you said, this is... You, you are you you, you your, your credentials is there. They know mm-hmm. it. Like you are certified, so they know this right. I think that's what it be more than anything. Even though when the people vote for you, it's like ah, I don't know. But I feel like you should do those kind of platform because at the very at the very minimum, people either gonna vote for you now because they really really like you, or they just don't like you. You don't you don't yeah. lose yeah. by doing nothing like that. But I I will say like from talking to you like you and, and not look like but you know your stuff. And you probably got your history, your background. You do your research. You've been around. You was mm-hmm. in, the, in there. They look at you. They probably be more uh, scared than anything. I would say. I don't know. Maybe that was it. But I'm gonna give you an example. Somebody that's just really good with this, and he understands that. Hey, he's seeking your vote, so he needs to get on top to you. That's Senator Harold Jones. I mean, I had him on at the end of last year to just talk about the upcoming legislative session. What are y'all going to be talking about in Atlanta, you know, over the next few months? What are, what are you guys going to do for us over the next three months? And he gave an excellent overview on, of some of the legislation that was being proposed. And he also talked about it from a Republican and Democratic perspective. These are the things that I'm expecting to be put out there. Uh, these are the things that I'm advocating for myself. And, you know, we got into food deserts and all this mm-hmm. other stuff, you know, voting, because they were looking at changing the voting structure to eliminate runoffs. Right. You know, we had a really good discussion about those things. So I'm like, okay, he understands that he needs to face his voters. Why don't the rest of them understand that they have to face their voters? You know? And, and then that that's the thing, I to compare and contrast sometimes like, you have a, another another guest that probably has more on the line. They willing to come on. It's like, why are you not willing to come on? I will see that as well too. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's the only thing about politics that I don't like because you have people 
it makes you question them when they don't want to do interviews. You really question them. You know how you said earlier you were like, uh, you can tell a lot about a city that that didn't have any riots. Mm-hmm. I feel like you could tell a lot about a um, a, a person in office or elected official, whatever, whatever the perfect the perfect uh, the right uh, verbiage is for that. That 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 doesn't do interviews. I thought you can tell a lot about. Oh them yeah, well. you can tell tell an awful lot, and there are a few names I call now. Button my lip and keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but yeah, there there yeah yeah that that says that speaks volumes in a very negative way when you are asking for votes, but you won't talk to anybody. Yeah, or the only time you want to talk to people is when you need the votes. Oh, it's when you right. The only you time know? you will talk is like that when you're running call for you office. Need some money. You you already mm-hmm. know like hey, what's right. going on? Oh, That's it. You wait them five it. minutes and they finally ask you for the fifty dollars and mm-hmm. they even ask you know. So yeah, I, 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 what is your um, least favorite thing about podcasts, if if at all, if any at all? Uh, let's see. I've tried to overcome some of the obstacles, but okay. Thing one is, as good as your episodes and your discussions and your guests may be, you still got to work to get listeners. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to make people aware of what you have to offer. And it's like any other business endeavor, you know, folks got to market, you know, yeah, folks have yeah. to know that you're there. So that is something you got to, you just have to work on. Like you were talking about number of views and things, you know, you look at some of this stuff and you go, that has a million views. What is it adding to anybody's life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you just yeah. said. No um, so those, that's one of the more difficult aspects of it. Um, and I've just been out more. That's why I wanted to do an interview with you. I mean, I want folks to know about what we're providing because really it is a service and it's, it's, it, it helps you, you know, can move you from here to there. Right. And the more, right. you know, the more you grow. So, uh, that's one thing. The next thing is getting frustrated when somebody doesn't want to be a guest, you know, that, that kind of is like, okay, where am I going to get a guest? You know, and now it's not quite as bad now that I'm more established. And like I said, I do have people who are reaching out to me. Hey, can I be a guest on the show? Um, but first, you know, it was a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And also, you know, I, it, I was in an advantageous position because I knew a lot of the people that, that I was contacting. Uh, it could have been much worse. But, yeah, just making sure you got the right guests lined up at the right time and that you can ask the right questions to really get something substantive out of it. Yeah. And, I, and like I said, I like I like um, what you're doing. And how I, but a few the ones I watched and I went back before, once you hit me up and uh, you sent me a few, but I, mm-hmm. I purposely didn't watch those. I watched other ones. Really? <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, well, nah, this is what she want me to see. I want to see what, well, you know. You missed that great interview with Jared Williams. But I'm, but it's, it's fun. I'm going to still watch it. I, just, <laughs> I always want to watch it post, you know, because uh-huh. that's what I like to do. And I'm like, well, I want to see the, the growth. So I'm going to begin and then the mm-hmm. end in the middle. Mm-hmm. I, I try mm-hmm. to do that to see. And I even seen that, even though, you, you know, I know you're probably a, a great talker and stuff, but I can still see even from beginning to like how comfortable you have gotten even mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, just even mannerisms you do, like just how you are on camera. I don't know. Just maybe I'm looking at it from a podcast standpoint. So I'm looking a little different, but yeah. I said, "Oh, that's that's because she was you look different then." And I'm like, "Okay, well, she was trying to figure out what, what, what she doing here." Mm-hmm. She doing. But now it's like you just you just go, you just you just on it. Yeah, and I like to see that. I like to see growth. So I wish I was have been able to watch it from the very beginning. But I also feel like you know, um, the political side of things, just um, on a relationship standpoint. To me, whenever Karen goes until she likes something, I like mm. it too. Okay, she, cool. She normally likes anything I would like. So I went back and I watched that one. I said, that was a good one. You know, and then you, had, you had some like really, really great. And now I know for myself, not that I want to no, push somebody off, but if my political was to come to me and say, yo, I want to da-da-da, 
I would definitely push them and say, hey, I want you to do that one. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Just because mm-hmm. I, I feel like sometimes it's not for me to do it. Like, I've done mm-hmm. some, but it's like, you know, you don't want to, you're not up to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever had that, but you're not up to do it. I'll do it, probably because I ain't got no guess. But, and those still turn out to be good. Quiet as kept, those be turning out to be really, really good ones. Mm-hmm. But it's sometimes where I know that's not really my realm or it's not the pocket I'm going in right now. Right, right now, the pocket I'm in right now is, it, it, it makes sense. I had, you know, uh, Earl Grey Summers and Ben Hassan, then I was on UPW, so now I'm trying to stay in that lane to catch that, capture that audience more mm-hmm. and more. This make a lot of more, a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So when you reached out, I was like, oh, yeah, real quick. If I was at work, it's, oh, let me hit it back, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Okay. And uh, so I appreciate that. Um, if you can, I want you to tell people, like, where, where can where can they find uh, uh, your podcast at um, and what's um, the best sites for them to find your podcast at? Sure. Uh, the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia on YouTube. Please subscribe because, you know, we are here trying to get more followers and subscribers. Definitely. So please subscribe. Um, I don't do a video every single week. I do an audio episode every Wednesday, drops every Wednesday. Um, every now and then when I have something just really good, I'll do that on video on YouTube. Um, on Facebook, there's every single episode. I have the Local Matters podcast of georgia um that's a page right page got a page i finally you know ken macon was one of the people that you need your own page girl get your own page so i have a local matters podcast of georgia page please follow because in addition to posting the episodes and information about upcoming guests and things we also post some news articles and information Mm -hmm. that's really helpful uh like this is september is voter registration month um, and, you know, we asked some questions. Hey, are you registered to vote? You yeah. better get ready. You know, <laughs> deadline's coming. Um, things like that. Um, last month was like, uh, I can't remember, Senior Citizen Month or something, something other. And I had a guest on from AARP to talk about that. So we've got news and information as well as the episodes there on Facebook. Um, also, the, ep- the podcast itself is on Spotify. Apple Podcast and uh, SoundCloud. Okay, SoundCloud is actually my host. So yeah, go to, go to go to go to Local Matters uh, podcast there. You'll see my smiling face, and you can pull up an episode anytime. And they're also on my website. I have a website for my business, Janice Allen Jackson Associates, and we've got a Local Matters tab there. So the episodes are there. So what's please the, what's the find website us. What's the website for the business? Janice Allen Okay. Um, the last, this is the last question for, mm-hmm. for um, as far as voting and just the politics and, and, and the polls and things of that nature, um, for best practice for a young person, a older mm-hmm. person, um, ignorant, not in the sense of uh, us calling names, just, you know, ignorant mm-hmm. to some uh, a subject matter, uh, what would be best practice for the election time as far as what's a good time frame to start Trying to figure out who's in, who's who's running for something. What's a good time frame to try to do your research, um, and then going to the polls and finally making that selection rather than you know going up there. Yeah, job. yeah. The worst thing you can do for yourself is start at the last minute. Um, I have done it myself. I've heard other people say they've done it. You know, for the bigger elections, the candidates have a little money. They're putting out mail. You know, you get postcards or letters or whatever in your mail. Um, they're sending them to your house. Please read them. I mean, I usually try to put them all in a place. Um, then I sit down at a certain time and I go through all of them so I can compare mm-hmm. information about them. I also like to go to their websites 
to see more, you know, it's like, yeah. so, you know, I want to know a little bit about the person. Um, so you can go to their website. Usually there's a bio there and you can find out more about him or her. Um, there's also the news and, you know, that's a little bit biased and sometimes it's a, you know, 30 second clip mm-hmm. or whatever, but try to get information from multiple sources about the person start before early voting starts just because uh, that early voting period is going to be, you know, three weeks, basically, two and a half, three weeks, somewhere in there. So I would start before then. My personal tip is some people go to vote as soon as early voting starts, and I don't. I start researching before early voting starts, but I don't vote that first week of early voting Mm. unless I'm going to be out of town or something. And the reason I don't do that is because in many, many instances, there will be some late dropping information that may change how you view about how you view that particular candidate. Right. So I usually vote either on election day itself or just a few days before. Okay. Um I like I like the way you, you worded that. I, I, I think that um a lot of people go to the polls, they then and there, and I know we got this it's a stigma, I think. I don't know. Well it's a thing. I don't know if I'm right the right words, but I'm just gonna vote Democrat. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to vote Democrat. It's easy, but it doesn't always guarantee the results that you want. But it's easy. And then what happens when you got three Democrat yeah, candidates right. on there, right? Right, right. And, you know, in a primary, <laughs> you got to choose from among the them. Yeah, from the primary, you got to choose from among them. So, yeah, know something about yeah. them. Know something about oh, his them. His name is Devin. I'm going to vote for that one. Like, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a nice name. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and the other tip I would give is a lot of times, particularly in a place like Augusta, I think, uh, God, it might have been uh, Dr. Wayne Frazier, because I had him on to talk about education, too. He said, you know, don't vote for me just because you know me. Vote for me because you've researched my track record. You know, mm-hmm. we have too many people who are voting for somebody. Oh, yeah, I went to high school with him. I'm going to vote for him. Oh, he lives around the corner from me. I'm going to vote for yeah. him. And that doesn't guarantee you that you're really going to get any results. Um. I, if you could, and I don't mean him, so he probably, he probably tired of me. He spoke over the years. He's been trying to do a podcast for a while. I was ready. He wasn't ready. He ready. I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. I want to get him on because I know it's going to be a good podcast because mm-hmm. he speaks very well. And I, the, way I, the way I do my questions, I know it'll be really, really good for him. Um, I, I, I have to say this. This is a Fraser story, but I had, a, I had a guy on my podcast who told the story about the time he was in Glen Hills mm-hmm. and then Fraser came to Glen Hills. Mm-hmm. And I guess he got him out the hole, like, hey, you come here. And I guess he went, I guess he told him his pants were sagging. It was something, no bell, mm-hmm. I don't know, something crazy. Anyway, the guy was telling me, I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, he'd tell me a story. And he go, yeah, I think it was in the paper, you know, that I saw. I edited, edited, edited um, the, the video. Some said, just look it up. I tried to look it up, couldn't find something. I finally found the picture. And that's one of my favorite clips because, I, like, like I said, history, his story thing, because like, mm-hmm. he says something, that's his story, mm-hmm. but it's really, it's documented evidence for real. So that picture, I finally got the backstory to a picture that, and I didn't. I didn't think about that because he. I, I had him over something totally different. Mm-hmm. He tapped me, tell me his life, and his life was talking about that. And I thought that was dope. And I even tagged Mr. Frazier, and I think that's why he finally reached out to me and stuff. But hopefully, I get him on at some point. The last thing is um, with uh, the 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 podcast, and I want to end here. Uh, I do think you mentioned ways to research these elected officials and stuff, and I think that's one of the best. Uh, lanes is podcasting to get to know somebody because from this already they get to know the funny side of you, the education side of you, your background, you know how you are the person, your mannerisms. Get to know a, a, a good broad 
not even brought, but a nice version of a person mm-hmm. based off, you know, their energy and how they move and talk versus reading a paper or that scripted thing the news give you. And, you know, um, I just hope that you're able to get the guests you want now because I do feel like um, podcasting is a great tool, especially for election time because you get to really pick up um, just characteristics and personalities of your of the person you're electing as an official via podcast. And I don't know if you feel the same on your podcast, but I like that vibe. I, I learned some things. I will say that since my show is a little shorter, sometimes I don't get as much. Uh, but normally, yeah, I, I can tell some things. I mean, <laughs> one of the easy things for me, and this just comes from my being a friend of my cosmic air traffic controller, mm-hmm. uh, the sort of personality to keep things moving and structured and orderly. You know, I'll say, hey, you know, we got time limit. Uh, can you, uh, I need you to respond to these three questions or five questions or whatever they are in eight minutes or 10 minutes or whatever, whatever. And you learn a lot about them when you figure out they can or cannot stay within that eight or 10 minutes. Mm. It's like, okay, you don't follow directions very well now, do you? <laughs> or you don't know how to edit yourself, yeah, do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, very telling. Yeah, some, some of those what appear to be small clues are very telling. Well, look, um, I, I definitely enjoyed uh, speaking with you. I'm a, I'm a, not going to lie to you. I was going to try to do 45, but you kind of killed that in the first 12 minutes because you told me a lot, mm-hmm. and I loved it. So definitely appreciate you coming through. Um, I can't wait to edit this and put it out, though. This is a great episode to me. I, I loved it. I learned a lot today. So appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. All right, Morning Matters Podcast, we out.